Hallelujah. Isn't Jesus wonderful? Yes, he sure is. Thanks, Pastor Jim. No pressure now uh, to preach a good message. Uh, Praise the Lord. Well, I love God. God gave me a second life. So I love him because I had death before I met him. And now I've met Jesus Christ and he's changed me. and, And I believe the Lord wants to change you this morning. He loves you deeply. You know, God's love for you is not always felt, but it is the truth. And uh, it's something that we must understand, that it's more true than what you feel. And the Word of God is more alive than you understand its ability to change you. It's a living, double-edged sword. And uh, I just pray this morning God would really rock you like a hurricane and change your life. But I was reminded, I was reminded this morning by the Holy Spirit of a miracle that took place the last time I came to Ohio. And so I want to pray for that. But before I do, I want to tell you a very strange story, Um, a very vulnerable story before I get into the Word of God. This is now the Word of Ben for a minute. And just forgive me, Holy Spirit, for a moment. Uh, But I had something very weird happen here. And it's so wonderful to see Pastor Jim again. He looks thinner and I look fatter. I don't know what happened, but he looks great. Um, And it's just a joy to be here. But last time I came to Ohio... Uh, I had this very strange thing happen in Lancaster, Ohio. And uh, I was, you, do you know Lancaster? Everyone knows that? Okay. It's like, it's, it's, I think it's even, it's a lot smaller than Powell. It seems to be a small place. And so when I was there, um, I went to preach at a place called the Vineyard Lancaster. And it's quite a big church. And there's a great pastor there, Pastor Joel. And I had a broken ankle. Do you remember that? Maybe you guys don't remember, but some of you who are here might. I had a broken ankle, and uh, I went there. So I did two tours of Ohio. On the second one, I came here, and, um, and I had a broken ankle on the first one. Anyway, when I went there, I had to sit on the stage in, the, in a chair with my foot up because I had a cast thing on, you know, everything on. And, uh, and I, I couldn't pray and put my hands on people like I usually would. So I just prayed a normal prayer, and I love the fact that this church, I can feel the gift of faith in the room. So you can see the testimony wall. I mean, it's just crazy. You guys believe that healing is the will of God. You don't believe it's the will of God to make people sick. And and so you believe for the healing. So anyway, long story short, I just called out a word of knowledge about someone's stomach, and a woman put her hand up, and she said, for 25 years since birth, her stomach muscle had been tearing apart. From, from here up, and after 25 years, she had no muscular tissue left. It had d- just disintegrated. It was kind of floating around in her stomach here. And, uh, and so the muscles were torn. God grew back her abs, all of them, within five minutes. It was very crazy testimony. But to watch this happen from the, from the stage with no, um, when I had no <laughs> ability to walk, uh, to watch that happen was very crazy to me. And, uh, and then after that, a girl came up to, the, the service just broke out like crazy in this church. And after that, a girl came to me. She said, I must be baptized right now. And, and, and she said, can you baptize me? I said, sweetheart, I have a broken leg. You know, like I can't really do, do a baptism. And I said, where would I do it anyway? And she said, there's a lake outside the church. And it was 11 p.m. at night. And I said, at the end of the service, went for hours the service. And I said, I don't, I can't do that. First of all, you have to ask your pastor, not me, before you can be baptized. Just go to your pastor. And she came back five minutes later. My pastor said, you can baptize me. And I said, I have a broken angle. So I made the stupid decision of saying yes to her 
I, I don't regret it for her sake, but it was a bad choice to go in there with a cast on. I had to have two men holding me up like this, and I went into the water. I backed in like hopping on one leg, and they're holding me, and she came in, and she's all like, God, are you going to change my life right now? And uh, we had all these cars that lined up on the lake, and if you go to Lancaster Vineyard, you'll understand exactly what I mean. There's this lake out the side of it, and it's not a lake, it's a swamp, okay? It's not a holy, clean place. It's something, looks something like out of the Bible maybe. And, um, and so there's these cars all lined up and they got the lights shining on her. And, you know, I did the, the, the way you baptize, you confess that Jesus Christ is your Lord and the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But because I had my right ankle busted, my leg, I thought to myself, I can't take her backwards. Because if I go backwards, even though these guys are holding me, I will go in with her. And so I thought I can, I can go forward. I can kind of crook my leg and I'll go forward like that and I'll, I'll baptize her forward. And so I'm holding her, and you know, she's very in a very holy moment. And then I said, in the name of Je- I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I went like that, and all of a sudden I went, and it's, she stopped. And her head was poking out of the water, the back of her head. And I pushed a bit hard, I'm like, to get her under, you know? She's, she wouldn't go under. And then all of a sudden she comes up and she's got black mud everywhere. I mean, it is everywhere. And then she starts spitting, spitting it out of her teeth. It was in her mouth. I was pushing her head into the mud. And then I was like, oh no. I mean, she was covered with mud, not a little bit, everywhere. And she's like, getting it out of her mouth. And then she's like, thank you, God. And I just looked at her. And because of the panic of how she looked, I said, I grabbed her like, I went, I'm so sorry. I grabbed her with both hands and I had my hand on her breast. And I went, and I said, oh, I said, I'm sorry about that as well. And the people looking at me like, you freak, what are you doing up here? And, uh, and I remember she had no idea. She's just like, thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. I, I just literally shoved her head into the mud and I had my hand on her breast by accident. That was an accident. It was an automated response to grab her because I felt so bad. And so that place was a place of great embarrassment for me, but also a place of great power. It was funny because I was so weak and making so many silly mistakes and my busted ankle and leg up on the thing and yet so many miracles happened. And so I was thinking about that this morning about the last time I was in Ohio and, uh, and what happened. And so I just felt that we're supposed to pray for unusual miracles this morning, for unusual things like this person's stomach, you know, that just grew back like that, that we're supposed to pray for people who have unusual dysfunction in the body and maybe people don't even know what it is. Maybe they do know what it is, but they don't know what to do with you. So if you have something inside you that is just, it's unreconcilable. You're like, there's no doctor to treat this. They can't grow back my stomach. If you have something like that, would you place up your hand right now? Something in your body. There's many hands. Good. I want you to stand up because I know this church knows what to do. I don't have to coach you at all. I want you to stand up if there's something inside you, whether it's your ankle, your stomach muscles never grew back correctly, uh, a part of your, your bone is fractured or just hanging somewhere in your body, something strange that, that cannot be uh, reconciled or completed. Maybe it's female problems. I feel like there's someone here with, you have some uh, female issues, you know, like where the cycle of your body is not working correctly, something like that. Uh, so just stand. Yeah, awesome. Okay, guys, church, let's do it. We know what to do. So, Father, I just pray the same way I did with my, my busted ankle. I pray, Jesus, by your power. It's not man's power. By the power of the hand of the Lord, in the name of Jesus, Father, I ask you to be magnified. I ask you to be magnified. We command these weird, impossible things to be made whole by the love of Jesus. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. 
All right, church, let's pray. Let's get into it. Thanks, God. We declare deliverance right now from this weird thing that doesn't change. We command it to change. I just particularly see female reproductive systems, female reproductive system. In the name of Jesus, be healed. Anything to do with people's thyroid or something to do with their tiredness and all that stuff, I cast that off you in Jesus' name. Get off her life. Thank you, God. Thank you, Father. Receive it because God wants to bless you. He loves you. He's a love language miracle making God. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. All right, just pray 10 more seconds. Just declare life, healing, and transformation right now. Miracles. I see someone, God, doing something in someone's stomach right now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. There's also someone, there's something in your head and it doesn't get fixed. You know, it's in your head. In the name of Jesus, we command this strange thing going on inside your brain to be healed right now. In the name of Jesus. Maybe it gives you vertigo or some dizziness or something. It gives you some weird thing. We cast that off in the authority of the, it's you, in the authority of the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Let's, church, just say this, because sometimes it's an oppressing spirit, these weird things. Just we command you in the name of Jesus. If you're a spirit, if you're something in, around their life that is not from God, we cast you off now. Not tomorrow, now. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Praise you, Lord. All right, now ask him. You know what to do. Just see how they feel. Get them to check it out. Some of them probably just need to bend down and see if they're still dizzy or if they're feeling weird or whatever. Thank you, Lord. All right. Did anybody sense the immediate breakthrough? They sensed something change in their body immediately. You could feel something went up, happened. Yeah, you did? That's, I saw you fall down then. Praise God. The power of the Lord's coming on you. When I said stuff about reproduction and all those things, is that referring to you? Praise God. And you know something just happened? Praise the Lord. I can't wait, for, I can't wait to read it next time I come back on the testimony wall. So we want to find out. And I know there was a couple of people I felt in my spirit that had problems with their balance or something in their head. Is that you? Okay, in the name of Jesus, they prayed for you. We just, I can't wait to see the miracle. And this gentleman, vertigo. You had vertigo. Okay, how are you feeling now? Can't tell any different. Okay, we're going to have to check it all out later and we can do that. And I enjoyed to do that. So please come to me at the end of the service or Pastor Jim. We want to hear what the Lord did. And even if you're like, actually, for the last hour in this message or whatever, I can feel a difference. That's what we want to know about. So guys, the Lord is amazing. Jesus is the reason why we're alive. There is no sermon greater than Jesus. There's no revelation that you graduate from apart from the hand of God called the Lord Jesus Christ. He is God in flesh. And the, the feeling I had in my spirit this morning is the Lord wanted me to talk about the fact that he will return one day. I had a feeling that sometimes people don't hear about that often. The Lord will return. Every apostle that ever lived believed the Lord would return in his lifetime. If you look back in the history of the men of God and women of God that changed history, they all believed with an earnest expectation that God would return, that Jesus would come back on a white horse. You know, I live in Germany. We have a ministry called Awakening Europe and Awakening Australia. We do uh, big events like 
Billy, something like the Billy Graham Association. We, you know, 25,000 plus events sometimes and big, big events of a lot of people in Europe that's unheard of. And the, the coolest part about the events is that literally thousands of people go to the streets for days. The event goes for seven days. And we see a lot of people set free and saved. And we see a huge uh, a a percentage of people coming into the stadium that are unsaved. And to us, we couldn't care if it's 20,000 or 50,000 or 100,000. We do not define success by numbers at all. That is not the barometer for us. The barometer for us is how many Christians were activated to live like Christ and how many people in that stadium do not know the Lord. That's what we want. We want people to be there who have no clue why they're there and no clue about who Jesus really is. Not the religious Jesus. We want to rip that off. We do a whole pseudo campaign, which is like a a second campaign to the world. They don't even know it's a Christian event. They come there and they're like, what is going on here? And we've had people come to us who are like, I'm 55 years old. Uh, I came here because I thought it was a rock concert. And I, and I saw these young, beautiful women. I thought maybe I can pick a girl up here. And, uh, and they came in and Jake Hamilton was screaming and looked like a rock concert and worshiping the Lord. And I remember this man told me, he's a 55-year-old, very famous architectural designer of the old buildings in Europe. He's very well known. He gets hired for lots and lots of money and, and he makes all those you know, ornaments around the European buildings. You see some of the old architecture there. He's the one who restores all of that for cities. You know, he's a very well-known guy. And he came in there and he said, when these people were worshiping, it sounded amazing. And he said, I saw these people with hands in the air in the stadiums. And he goes, I didn't know what was happening. And he said, but when someone got on stage and they started to share about Jesus and they preached only a 10 minute message, it wasn't a long, elongated, drawn out sermon. It was just the simple cross, the simple power of Jesus unto salvation. He said that I don't know what happened, but he said, I went blank in my mind and I can't remember that moment, but something put my hand up. And he got born again. And he didn't just get born again. He rocked up in our school. We have a school in Germany as well. He rocked up in our school six months later. And our school is for pastors and staff members of churches and leaders who want to grow and equip their churches in evangelism in Europe. And that's necessary in Europe right now. Because some countries we've done awakenings in, there's 25,000 Christians in the whole country. Can you imagine that? Country of 10.5 million people. And there's only 25,000 collective believers. Like that's unheard of. That's ridiculous. Especially the fact that these countries are often founded, their flags are across. They were Judeo-Christian countries. You know, and so our harvest is Europe. Our heart is to be there and we are there. We've been living there for three and a half years. But I remember this guy, six months later, he rocked up in our school, 55 years of age. And I said, hello, nice to meet you. And, he, and I said, why did you come to the School of Awakening? And I thought he was a pastor. And he said, I, he told me this story. He goes, I walked into the stadium six months ago. And I said, do you have any idea why, what this is? And he goes, no. He goes, this was just the next event after the stadium event. And he said, so I'm here. And I said, do you know what the school of awakening is? Do you know what you're being trained in? And he goes, no, what's evangelism? I said, evangelism is what you're doing, my friend. It's your life lived for the gospel. It's your life out loud because of what Jesus did in your heart. It's the invisible world of the transformation of God inside you on the outside. And, uh, and he, I said, you are totally living it. So we have all these crazy testimonies and people being baptized in city fountains. We have pictures and videos of people taking people on the street as they're born again and saying, come over here into these city squares. In Europe, there's many, many fountains right in the middle of the city and they're baptizing them and getting them demons cast out. It's very crazy stuff. And uh, it was on the front page of the news for, and in the second page two and three of Austria for nine days straight in the newspaper. I can't believe what God has done with our last one because it's just weird. We have no clue what we're doing. We don't have any professional experience. We don't have any consultants 
consultancy thing. We don't have professional whatever. We don't have anything like that. We just have the anointing. We have a yes to God. And now in the nation of Austria, we've been on the front page of the papers all over the news and on the nightly news every night. You know, it's just unheard of in a country like that. And uh, Austria started out as a Jesus people country, just like all the countries like Sweden, Norway, Finland, uh, Germany, Deutschland. That's where I live. And so we live there and we're seeing great things happen in that, that country and also in the whole continent of Europe. It's been phenomenal and uh, it's just a real joy. But for us, the definition of success with the Lord is us being obedient to him and us preparing people in a healthy way to live a life that is eternally solid, not just for here and now. Paul warned people, he said, don't be nearsighted unto blindness. Nearsightedness is blindness. When I'm just thinking about today, tomorrow, and maybe the next day, or my, my holiday in two weeks, if I'm only nearsighted, I'm not building eternally because my spirit is eternal. I'm connected, unite, united to the Lord, and so are you. Everything you're doing right now matters in eternity. Every decision you make matters. The eternal life that you are storing up and living for is, is known and built in your day-to-day -day decisions. It's right now. It's not tomorrow. We're connected here now. And the Lord promised he'd return. So I want to be at my father's business when he returns. You know, I don't want to be doing someone else's business. I want to be doing the Lord's business. I don't want to be about my job. Now, I love jobs. I particularly love the declaration you shared. We have a thing in Europe called Awakening Business. And like I said, I got to meet with the president, uh, you know, 14 weeks ago. It was wonderful. For 45 minutes, we sat privately in the back room of the stadium, and we just talked openly about God. It's been fantastic. And, uh, and he just actually stepped down from his presidency due to corruption in the government. And I told the whole place, I said, let's pray for this man. And I knew, I said, you're going to be president again. And he got reelected a week ago. And it's been amazing. So it's cool. You know, we have favor with these people now. And, uh, and he's the youngest chancellor. They call it a chancellor. It's the same as president, youngest in world history. And it's really cool. And I love that. We have awakening business. We have these businessmen who are multimillionaires and they know everything about business. And I sit there and I'm mind blown by the way that they talk about the equity of God, the just scales of God, how finances should work. Their revelation of integrity in business is phenomenal. And so I sit there, I wear a little suit jacket and pretend like I know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just sitting there listening to them and, uh, and I look a bit different to how I do now and you know we're rubbing shoulders with some different kind of people in Europe and, uh, and I just say hello Jesus loves you I just be Jesus to them and I listen to these businessmen teach and I'm like my goodness but what they do and what they say is what Jim said earlier you know and I love that the, the, the resources of God the businessmen have got for the needs of the city they are focused on the harvest they're not just focusing on I know what I can do I can multiply my storehouses and my barns they're thinking these bonds can create eternal life. They can, now, you can't save someone with money, but these bonds have the power to do something through the gospel, to, to, to bring lenience toward the kingdom of God's movement on the earth. And the Lord wants us to think that way, and he wants us to think eternally, because any moment my life could be over. This could be my last sermon ever. We could, I'm not prophesying that, and I don't believe it is. But, you know, someone said to me the other day some, some weird thing about that. They're like, you, you want to be careful, you know, as a minister that you don't have a heart attack or something. I said, no, I rebuke that. I'm not going to have a heart attack, you know. And, uh, and I think they were trying to be nice. They were trying to give me a warning and stuff. And I agree with them because I've, my health has been suffering because I don't, I think all the time. I'm always doing, doing, doing for God. Now, it's good to be doing. I'm not a Martha. I'm a Mary. I want to sit at the feet of Jesus. But Mary wasn't lazy. She sat there once. She probably sat there again, but she wasn't lazy. She didn't just sit around and do nothing with her world. She built her world around knowing Jesus. Knowing Jesus is doing something. 
sitting before the Lord and, and leaning into his face to know the majesty of God, to know the person that created all the atoms that are in this pulpit, every part of your leg, the breath, the life of God inside you right now is being held together by the word of his power. There is nothing greater than the word of Jesus, nothing. Every, like, it's like when, G, I said this the other day, when Jesus walked through the walls, all the atoms just said, yes, your majesty, come. You know, they all bow down to him, to his supremacy. So eternity is knowing God. It is, it is, it's exploring the depth and the beauty of who he is. It's not exploring my purpose. It's exploring his purpose. But sadly, I meet many believers who live for themselves. They would say that they're living for God. But the justifying choices they make, I'm going to do this because that's what I feel, or the options they choose, you know, there's no plan B in the kingdom of God. The Lord said this to me when I went to Germany. He said, he gave me a dream and I saw myself on my knees praying for weak knees. And I believe it's like, you know, Hebrews, it says, strengthen the weak knees, the feeble hands that hang down. And, I, and it said above a woman's head, I was praying as I was on my knees in this dream. And it was in Germany, I knew that. And it said, no plan B. Ben, you must give yourself fully to the gospel. You must give yourself fully to eternal things. I don't want to go down in the history books as someone who is an average believer. I don't want to go down in the history books as someone who is the boldest person dancing with a flag on Sunday. And on Monday, I was quiet as a mouse. I don't want to go down in history as some person who lived boldly for Jesus and no longer a slave to fear on Sunday morning. And then I'm a slave to fear the entire week and I never invited anyone who, who I know in my friend's circle to church. You know, I invite people to do, come to things all the time. We teach our people, we say, you should invite them boldly and, and even slightly manipulatively. Not manipulation, but, but be, be clever. Say to the people, say, hey, come to my church, man. Come visit. No, I don't want to go to you. Oh, I went to your basketball game. You know, beat them. Checkmate. Beat them. Get them there. Get them into the presence of God. Do everything it takes. Paul said, I'll spend and spend my soul. He said, I'll be far spent more than anybody he's spent his soul to win somebody to God. Why? That's eternal. That's eternal. Jesus, <clears throat> Peter Daniels and his research institute found out over two years, the estimation of what was given to Jesus was in the hundreds of millions at his birth. That's a lot of money. But Jesus wasn't driven by business ideas. He was driven by the gospel. He was driven by good news, by the revelation of his father. There's this man who consulted with BMW. I live in Germany. Their head office is in Munich. I'm not picking on business. I'm, I love business people. Like I said, we have a thing called awakening business. What I'm trying to get at is priority. I'm trying to touch on priority because the Lord will return. And when the Lord returns... I don't know if he's going to be, first thing he's going to do is go over our tax return. I don't know if the first thing he's going to do is to talk to us about, you know, how successful were you in life? There was a man called Lazarus. He had everything. Sorry, I got that around the wrong way. Lazarus was the poor man. But there was a man, a rich ruler, who had everything. Jesus said, you have nothing. Lazarus, who had nothing, had everything. He was rich toward God. Some people have everything around them surrounding their life, comforting their soul, and are poor toward Jesus. And you can tell where the poverty begins. The poverty begins in the application of my daily choices. The poverty begins when the Lord says, come away with me for five minutes. 
and you just slip away and you love on him. The poverty begins when you, sorry, the richness begins when you step past those willful decisions that you have to go somewhere else, but you go to the Lord. You make a decision for God. The richness begins when you're walking down the street and you see that woman pass you and the Lord says, stop her. And you're like, her, who? Oh, her, it's too late, you know, now. You know, you know how you do that? The, the poverty begins when you say it's too late. The richness begins, even though your heart's beating, when you just go, hey, hey excuse me. It takes 10 seconds. All of heaven, though, when you say excuse me, is chanting over the banisters. Because they're invested in what is eternal. Angels are invested in what is eternal. I believe in great wealth. I believe there's billionaires in this room. People that God will assign to you a big portion of trust financially. I believe there's people who write books here about education that God's going to assign to you a way to help educate people in schools that is simple, that is clear, and it cleanses the mind of a child rather than pollutes it like what we have in the world now. I believe that. I love the creativity. I love the branches that God expresses out of the vine. But sadly, many people have made the branch the vine. They've made the root system of God null and void, and they've made the branch and their little niche calling the greatest thing. And God this morning wants to remind you, he will return. Jesus will come back. He'll come with the sound of trumpets. He'll come with 10,000s of his angels, armies of his angels. Collectively, billions of people from heaven will watch and billions of people on the earth will see. For as lightning, Matthew 24 says it, as lightning flashes from the east to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. When the coming of the Son of Man happens, he's looking for his bride, spotless and free and pure. He's looking for his bride, one that knows him. You know, in Song of Solomon, it talks about the woman who's searching. She's like, where is my beloved? Where is my love? If you find him, tell him that I love him. Send the people out to tell him that I love him. She even tells her messengers, tell him that I love him, that I'm searching. We can just tell God himself. We don't even have to tell people. But I love the fact that she expresses it to other people that I'm searching to know God more. She shares her passion. Are you that kind of a person? That your eyes are longing for Jesus? That in the morning when you wake up, even though there's a lot to think about, you still slip that your mind into the place where no, He's here. He's my eternal reward. God Himself is our reward. There's no greater preaching than Jesus. There's no greater sermon than knowing the majesty of God Himself in flesh. And by the way, He became fully man. The Word of God says, tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. He was subject to our human weakness, but all the universe was encapsulated inside His flesh. Every part of your life, every single thing was scripted by the words of Jesus. You know, the other day I was flying and I saw all these rivers and stuff. I could see the shape of them, the patterns of these rivers, and I'm always flying. And, and I think a lot on the plane about things. I preach sometimes on the plane too. And uh, I've gotten into trouble sometimes. I remember I preached in business class once. I twice actually I've done that now. No, maybe three times now. But I've done it, I remember twice. One time was really awkward. One time was so good I should have taken up an offering in business class. It was a phenomenal sermon. It was on Swiss Air too in Zurich. I should have taken an offering. It was amazing. And, uh, but I, I've been very bold when the Lord has told me to be bold because I'm more obedient to Him than people. I could care less who's in the room. I could care less if there's a president. Of course, I'll act accordingly, but I could care less. Now I get to rub shoulders with some very powerful people. But when I'm there, I do the same thing that I do when I'm on the street talking to someone one-on-one. -on -one. I give them the same Jesus. 
But I remember, you know, thinking when I was looking out the plane, I saw all these rivers and the shape, the tapestry of the rivers. And I was like, God, they're incredible. Look at the rivers, how they're shaped. From above, when you look up, when you're down there, you're probably just seeing a river. But from above, when you look up, there's this thing called fractal scaling. You know, fractals are, are like shapes that the African people build in, in certain communities. And fractals are just, it's just phenomenal. You see them in leaves. It's, it's hard for me to explain, but basically they're shapes that reproduce the same shape. And I can, you can go into that another time. But it's just so wild how God made things. But I saw these rivers and I realized something. They were all going in different ways. And I was like, they weren't always like that. No way. They, they formed that way over time. This river went here. This river went here. This one twisted and turned and went that way. And they formed all these different shapes as I'm looking out the plane window. And I realized something. The Lord didn't tell them every two seconds, grow one inch further that way. Grow one inch further that way. He placed by his word in the beginning these rivers into motion. And then God sits there and explores and enjoys how his creation starts to play itself out. He enjoys that. He enjoys, the, like his word in the beginning formed everything. So when Jesus walked on the earth, he didn't just think everybody's gonna have an automated response, although he knew what was in men. He still enjoys to see the way people respond. The thing is with these rivers though, they get beaten and they get corrupted by storms. And by other things, and they get turned away from potentially their original purpose. And sometimes that happens to us. We just get distracted. We become sidestepped about the one thing that really matters, which is to know Jesus. So many times I've sat in churches and I've just heard three-point messages and I've never remembered any of them. I don't remember them. But I remember the moments when someone like a Bill Johnson would say one statement and it became bread to my soul. Because it came from a place where he actually knew the Lord. When Jesus returns, he'll come. And it says he comes to judge the quick and the dead. He's coming as a judge and also to receive his bride. But when he returns, he's looking for faith in the earth. He's not looking for faithfulness. Sadly, I meet many people who come to church Sunday and God loves faithfulness. And they go to Bible study Wednesday. God loves that. God loves faithfulness. But their faithfulness and their ability to study and the fact that they might be worried about who's in the church so they don't do anything too wild or too crazy, their faithfulness actually stops them from having faith. It hinders faith. It hinders them from being alive, being expectant. They start to be faithful and they exalt the principle of faithfulness above the obedience of actually knowing Jesus. When you know Jesus, you will stop when he says stop. When you know Jesus, you'll search the scriptures and look for him. And when you find him, it will be a treasure and great reward to you. And you'll just be so in love. And when you speak to people about him, it will have depth. It will have clarity to it. It will cut away the things that are confusing them and bring them back to the one true thing that they need. They need to be rich toward God. But when you're not like that, what can happen is you're just faithful, and you believe God wants to honor your faithfulness and you practice that and God does accept faithfulness. It's a good thing. But God does not accept faithfulness when your faithfulness becomes a hindrance to your faith. You know, when we went to Germany, I'm not German, look at me, I'm Australian. I'm better looking than Germans. Uh, when, when I went to, to Germany, I didn't know the language. I didn't know anything. I went there by faith. I didn't know how to speak German. 
I, you know, sprechen Sie Deutsch, they say, and all that stuff. I learned about four different things. That's all I learned. I learned Jesus Liptich, which means Jesus loves you and had a großer plan for dein Leben and has a great plan for your life. I learned that first. I knew I'm going to need that one every day of my life. And then I learned, haben Sie Cappuccino? Do you have Cappuccino here? You know, I learned the right things. And, and wo ist der Schnitzel? Where's the Schnitzel? I learned some right things. You can tell, obviously, I've, I've put on some Schnitzel since I came here last time. Uh, I learned those things. But one day, because I went there by faith, the Lord rewarded me. I wasn't just faithful to learn a few things. I was really trying. And one day, a woman walked past me in the cafe, and my beautiful friend, Yvonne, was with me, who is our event coordinator. She's a v- the VP of our ministry, and, and she was with me, an and amazing woman of God. And she was always a poor girl. She had to translate for me every day. Her life was a walking, living translation for the first nine months of us living there. It was a bummer for her because every day, Yvonne, what is that? Oh, he wants this. She'd always have to translate everything. And I'm a, I, I talk to people. I'm an evangelist. So I stop people. Imagine her role. Bummer. You know, she's stuck. And, uh, and so we have this big stadium event, 27,000 people rock up and she's all, wow, you know, it's, God is moving in my country. But then for the next nine months, God was moving day to day through her translation. And so we went to this cafe and I said, Yvonne, I said, can you ask this woman if she has migraine headaches when she walked past me? I felt that. And so, um, and, and so she goes, you know, she asked her in German and, and the woman goes, she looked at Yvonne, yeah, yeah, I do. So they start, you know, talking together. And, and she said to her, she goes, yeah, I do. I have migraine headaches. And, and then the woman looks at me and she goes, you know, how did he know that? I can't even say that in German yet. She said, how did he know that? And so Yvonne turns to me, how did you know that? And I said, well, when you walked past me, I felt in my spirit that you have problems with your head and you have pain in your head all the time. And then the woman and Yvonne are both looking at me like this. And I'm like, What? And I'm like, Yvonne, what? And she goes, how did you know how to say that? I'm like, what do you mean? When I heard her say the sentence back in German, it was so long. I'm like, I can't even remember that, let alone say it. I spoke it in perfect German. Perfect German. I mean, I spoke it. I heard it in English. You know, it was like this. It was so long. It was like, you know, du hast Kopfschmerzen and du laufen. It's so long. Like, I can't even say it now. I forget it. But the point is, God rewarded my faith. I had nothing to give, but I had my eyes on Jesus. I'm no special person. We're not special. We're special to Him, but there's not certain people God goes, oh, you know what? I'll make a special version of of humanity through you. We're all fashioned in His image. The problem is we fall away from the true image of God. The true image of God is Jesus Christ. The true image of God is an expectation that He'll return. The Maranatha come. And I want to read this to you. It's in 1 Thessalonians 4. If you just open your Bible there. You know, I don't want to talk about eschatology. I I could care less about that. I don't want to get into that. That's not my, my point this morning. My point is, what are you building? Is what you're building eternal? Or is it just for now? Oh, well, Ben, we're building a, you know, Another bathroom in our house. That's awesome. You can build another bathroom. And when you build it, pray over your toilet that when your friends come over and sit on your toilet, God would encounter them. 
Pray over your bathroom that as they sit there, the Holy Spirit would begin to saturate them with thoughts about God. Because Psalm chapter 10 says that God is in none of their thoughts. It's one of the scariest verses in the whole Bible. That there is people that live day to day, 100 years of their life and never have a single thought about God because sin has blinded and corrupted their mind. And Satan, the God of this world, blinding the unbelieving man. He's doing that right now. And you know, we need to have a place in our lives where we're so saturated with light and the presence of revelation that it begins to leak off you that God is real. I had this woman in a cafe once. She was trembling and looking at me the whole time in the cafe, different different time, uh, not in Germany, in Australia. And, and she was looking at me and, and I, I sat there in the cafe and, and I was reading something. It wasn't even my Bible. And I went out and I said, see you later. Have a good day. And, uh, and then I came back in the same afternoon and she just kept staring at me. And, and, I, and I noticed she was looking at me strange and I thought she was angry at me for some reason. I thought maybe she, I said something about Jesus to someone, which I think I did when the lady was opening the fridge to get a drink. I told another lady, you know, Jesus loves you. And so when people look at me that way, I think, oh, I was probably offended maybe because they heard me talk about God. And she didn't know why, but since the morning, she wondered, she's like, who is that man? I remembered going to that cafe and I prayed in tongues the whole way there. Not because I was praying in tongues for the cafe. I wasn't, God, please release a great cafe latte. Please, I really want a, a latte from heaven this morning. You know, make it the barista different. Um, I wasn't praying for any reason except just in the spirit. You know, I'm so convicted by Smith Wigglesworth's life. He would never read a book that wasn't God. He, he had to read the Bible. The only thing he had was his Bible and his hymn book. Now, I believe in books that are from the Lord, but he would not pollute himself with a newspaper. He would not place something in his mind that would pollute even one inch of his faith. Those mustard seeds to him was so powerful. He had real mustard seeds. Some of my mustard seeds have been more cracked and, and broken and not real mustard seeds, not real simple childlike faith. But he had that and he read the Bible and then he prayed in tongues. He'd read the Bible 30 minutes out loud, then he'd pray in tongues 30 minutes out loud. He'd do that two or three hours a day. He continually did it. So I started to pray in tongues and I got into that cafe and the woman just kept looking at me. I came back maybe seven hours later and I got another coffee and this woman, she's nervous. She goes, who are you? And I, I said, Ben. And she's like, no, no, what do you do? I said, I'm a preacher. I'm, I love Jesus. And she goes, but, but what do you do in life? I said, that. She goes, are you, are you, are you famous? I said, no. She goes, I said, why are you asking me this? And she said, when you walked in this morning, the whole cafe, I felt this strange presence around you and the whole cafe felt different and I couldn't stop looking at you. And she said, and the same now, there's something different about you. I said, well, I told you what it is. It's the illumination of God in my life. It's Jesus in me. It's not me, it's Jesus. And I said, he loves you, sweetheart. You know, God must have opened her eyes to see something because God was trying to speak to her. And I was, it was really easy for me to preach the gospel. But the reason why those things have happened sometimes in my world is because my mind has been focused on God, but I'm not praying to be an illuminating light bulb head. I'm not praying that. I'm praying, God, I wanna be transformed. I want, you know, Romans 8, 28 is one of our favorite scriptures, right? God works all things for the good of those who love God. But I love also Romans 8, 29. We're called according to His purpose. And what is the purpose? That we might be transformed into the image of His Son. The Son of God is the image that God is fashioning in your life. The Son of God did not think near now, temporary, this is what I'm doing tomorrow. The Son of God thought of all things eternal. He beheld before Him the throne of God, knowing that He was the Lord's and the Lord was His. God is more real to Him, the Father, than you are. He wasn't looking around His disciples worried. 
He understood heaven is on his side. Elijah the same. I want to be like that. I'd like to be if God would allow me to be like a modern day sort of an Elijah person. I don't know if he'll let me do that, but that would be cool to have that much faith where you turn to Gehazi and say, listen, dude, just God open his eyes for a second to see the majesty of the power of God that is with us. Stop thinking temporary, Gehazi. Stop thinking about all these people that are here. Think about who is with us. We ought to be obsessed with God. We ought to have an unhealthy obsession. People have to, should be able to, to, to try and correct the weirdness off you because, because you're so strangely in love with Jesus. I don't mean strange. You might be the quietest person ever. And you know what? I love what Todd said yesterday. I preach the same thing all the time. I see people go to football matches and they paint their face like Braveheart. Yeah. When that ball goes around the field, it's like they become the gladiator, you know? The ball just moves. The ball goes flying through the air and someone catches it. Yeah. No one's an extrovert, introvert. No one's a D, high S, high CL, whatever. I don't know what they're all called. No one has any of that stuff in them. No one is marginalizing their personality. You know why? Because raw passion is alive in that moment. No one marginalizes and boxes themselves. Why are we boxing God? I don't mind all these things of emigrams and all enigrams and all that stuff. I don't mind knowing those things. But you know what that we're doing sometimes is we're telling God, I am this way and this is the way I am and this is the way I'll function. And what we're saying to God is limit, 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 limit. I limit you, Lord. There's no limits with God. There's no limits. Jason Westerfield, I don't agree with what he believes, but I agree with the faith he had. He once walked on a pulpit like this and he was walking and all of a sudden he found himself and the whole church was like <gasps> looking at him and he found himself six feet off the ground because he walked up seven steps. There was an open heaven and the whole church, they were shocked. Because that kind of a mind, they're not used to people that think that way. Listen, to Jesus, it was unnormal, unnatural to not expect God to be in his midst. Now we expect faithfulness. We just want principles. I'm faithful. I worship every Sunday. That's awesome. God thumbs up that. He loves every moment of affection. Unless your faithfulness is actually hindering the depth of faith that it takes to walk in hand-to-hand -hand relationship with Jesus. <laughs> it's different. He will return. He comes to judge the quick and the dead. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ shall rise. For the Lord himself will descend. Jesus will come back. You know, in Switzerland, near where I live, I live on the border of Switzerland, they eat horses. They eat them. I'm not even kidding. One time in the restaurant, they said, you want to try a horse? And the Swiss friend of mine's like, you should try it. Just at least try it. And I'm like, mm, okay, I'll try it. And so I tried. And as soon as I put it in my mouth, I was like, gross, man, I'm eating a horse. And they, they love it. They love horses. They eat horses. And I, I said to someone recently, I said, you know, if Jesus returned to Switzerland, he'd have to get a new white horse to go back on because they would eat it. 
and uh, they kill horses in Switzerland, you know, and they eat them. And so I realized when I thought about that, it was funny when I was eating the horse, but I realized he will come on this majestic beast, this, this massive beast of a white horse. And there he is, eyes blazing with fire that see every human heart in the whole of existence, that look upon every motive of every heart, that hold the very earth together. The earth will groan and beckon to him, the one who actually spoke it into existence. The earth will groan back, here you are, Messiah, here you are, Maranatha, come to the earth. They will groan for him. Even the plants will all turn their face toward the majesty of God when perfect and awesome light begins to descend upon the earth. And to those who are filled with light, perfect and awesome light will be a reflection. You'll become like a light bulb. But to those who are filled with darkness, it will shine on the innermost motives of every heart. And don't think that it won't shine on Christians. It will. That's why when people say to me, oh Ben, I have this porn addiction, I, I, I know. It's a Goliath in this generation. They say to me, I can't get over it. I say to them, no, you can. You can choose. If you don't choose, you won't choose. This is not a choice for now. This is a forever choice. So many times I've... Um, I've been on my phone, you know, and like watching, I like documentaries and I'll watch weird documentaries. <laughs> I get caught, I get ensnared by them. And the Lord will say to me, put that down, just gently, like a dad, put that down, read your Bible. And sometimes I just brush the thought away. I realized after a while, when I was doing that, brushing the thought away, the voice didn't come so strong. You know, God cares about my garden, the ecosystem of my world with him. He will return. His eyes are readying me for something greater than this life. And in this life, I want to give all I am and all I have for eternity. And I want to get as many people into eternity with me as I can. I want to have businesses. I'd like to have a lot of money. I'd like to do those things are great. I hope that one of you here becomes the world's best hairdresser and knocks Tony and Guy off the throne. I hope that we become such reformers in the world. But in our process of reformation, we truly know the Lord. Do you remember what I said about BMW? A consultant sat with them. He has a company worth quite a lot. It's an insurance company. He sat with the five executives of BMW, we call it in Germany, in Munich. As he sat with them, he stopped them and said, excuse me, he's an American guy. He said, before we start this meeting, he was kind of hosting the meeting. He said, I want you to just stop one second, I'm gonna pray. And he just stopped, thank you, Holy Spirit. I invite you into this room. I invite your wisdom here. I invite you to come here, God, and touch these men, touch this meeting, give us the power of God and wisdom in this meeting. Amen. Now you get the BMW people. Okay. <laughs> they finished the meeting. And one guy came to me and said, when you prayed that, this is one of the chief executives, when you prayed that, my whole heart felt different. He said, I felt light. He said, what do you have? What is that? It's the Holy Spirit in German. It's the Heilige Geist. It's the Holy Spirit. And he said, do you want a relationship with Jesus? 
You know, these people are negotiating half a billion dollar contracts. It's not about that to them. There's something greater than our pursuit. What is eternal? What are you building that will not fail the white throne of God? What are you building that when Jesus returns, he says, that's my building. When he returns and his eyes look with that white horse and the 10,000s of the angels, he says, see that? And he points to Michael and he says, see that there in Columbus? That's what I built through them. Or will the eyes of judgment and of righteous scales fall upon that which is worthless? I don't want to preach three-point messages. I don't want to sit there and try and figure out in my bedroom, how do I say this sentence so it kind of rhymes one word with another and sounds cool and people are amazed that I said something that sounds cool, that I'm not living. We break off who we are. The bread of our life that we give to the church and to the world is a revelation of what you have in Jesus. And the yeast, the thing that God puts in, the leaven that he places in your life, is the moments that you choose God. The yeast is every moment you say, God, I do your will. It begins to saturate and infiltrate and yield your spirit to his purposes. I don't want to be one of those ones that when he comes, I'm ashamed. I don't want to have a porn addiction then. I don't want to have a maybe I'll do your will, God. You know, the faithfulness thing is a real problem because it can convince you that you're doing everything right because you become a nice person in your own eyes. But what about when God taps you on the shoulder? What about when he says, Ben, put the phone down? What am I building? I'm building a documentary of how skateboards are made. That's not gonna do anything in eternity. Now, am I saying we can't have joy and enjoy movies? I love movies, especially Braveheart and things like that. I love those kind of films. I go to the movies, I think we should have fun. I don't think we should be Christian weirdos, but we should be obsessed with God. It should be unnatural that when we're watching the movie and eating popcorn and all of a sudden Jesus can go, this is like the book of Acts, isn't it? This, he, can, he should be speaking to us there. But the mind gets dull, it gets numb, and it doesn't hasten the coming of the Lord. But every disciple did, every church father and mother did, they hastened Jesus Christ's return. Do you realize that he could return tomorrow? Oh, but these things have to be fulfilled. Yeah, I know, a lot of them are getting fulfilled fast. But the world's just getting better. It's not about eschatology to me. It's about where are my eyes? And if my eyes are on him, I'll find that I'm at faith and work in the earth for him because I love him. And that's what I feel that God wants to tell you this morning. I just felt two simple things to tell you that Jesus will return and is what you're building worthy of eternity. It's easy to save souls. Do you know how easy it is? You don't have to be an evangelist. I'm, I'm not even just an evangelist. I have many gifts, but I don't even consider the, the gift to be the most primary calling. I believe that it's very simple to save people. You know what you do? You just pray God would save them. You just get intentional. When you build a, if, if you build, a, someone probably built this pulpit. It's a great pulpit. This guy made it, might have spent a day or two days building this thing and he just got intentional and started to weld piece by piece together. People expect that souls will just come into the kingdom of God without the labor of eternal thinking. We must think eternally. Your family could die today and end up in hell. Some people don't like this talk. I love it because it motivates me toward what really matters to God. 
And these things matter to the Lord. My eternal pillar of I know Jesus. And people can look me in the eyes and say, he's in there somewhere. And they can feel Jesus around me. And they can feel that there is some kind of a depth and resonance of God in my life. I want that. And that means I need power over YouTube. Leonard Ravenhill said, how do we expect to take down the strongholds of Satan when we don't have power to turn off our TV? He's telling the truth. Oh, but Ben, it's not by works. Actually, it is. Jesus said, I come to judge the quick and the dead and I know your works. It is about works. Do the first works, he said, when he said, return to your first love. Go back to loving and then work at it. (laughs) Works are wonderful. I hate the language of it's not about works. I get it. It's a reaction to legalism. We're trying to say that it's about grace. Totally it is. And we're empowered to do the works by grace. None of our own strength. I get that. But sometimes that ends up, we go from ditch to ditch. (laughs) The work is that I become so in love with God. But I make the choice to put him above everything in my life. And by doing so, I put my no and my reasoning of I must get to that meeting to his, would you stop that lady for three minutes? I place it under the feet of the lamb. When we do that, when we pray for people daily, your husband and you, you finish your favorite TV show, I don't know, American Pickers or something. I don't know what it is. I think I saw that once, the Pickers or something, right? You, you finish that show and you kick your feet up on that sofa, the Lazy Boy or whatever it's called. Bad name, by the way, for your future to call it that. You should, someone should call it a motivated boy. Make, make your own company. Motivated couch. Couch of motivators, right? But when you kick your feet up on that couch, your motivator, you turn to your wife, you say, sweetheart, Let's take, we just watched that show for an hour. Let's take the next hour to pray for every one of our unsafe family. Why does that seem hard to you? Why can I say, I say to God, why can I watch YouTube for three hours and then I come to my Bible and sometimes within five minutes I feel sleepy? Why God? You know Jerusalem? You know Iraq? Iraq's a good example. You know Iraq? You know what happened? All these people went to war and they all went in there. They were fighting this tiny little country. Nations all surrounding it, Syria, different ones, Turkey. Everybody wanted to fight and get, go to war in Iraq. You know why? Because there's oil there. The enemy attacks you where the oil is. In your small decisions, in your small yeses, you don't realize it's building something in eternity for you. God wants you to return to your first love fire. He wants you to build for him. I must finish this message now because I need to get on a plane soon, but I want to pray for people. I know it's been a strange message, but that's okay. It's definitely not the number two one in the world that he heard or whatever. Uh, I remember that one. I remember that day that I preached that. I preached out of the park that day. I was just hitting just home runs and everything. I felt really good. I do feel really good now, but I've also been preaching for four days and I'm tired. (laughs) But I can still remind you, who was in the conference, who heard me talk about when I sent Jesus a love letter? One or two people. I told Jesus, it was Valentine's Day, I said, I love you. I bought him some flowers. I bought him roses. I sat them on my kitchen table. I wrote the Lord a letter. I said, I'm so in love with you. I said, I must know you, God. And I asked him all these questions. It was about three or four questions, like very pointed, specific questions. Jesus is real. 
He's not just someone we sing about. He's the inhabitor of those things. He's the inhabitants of your song. The song should end in the habitation. The song should end in the communion. I said, I love you. I asked him four questions. I put on the envelope, 777, Heaven's Highway. I got a stamp on Valentine's Day. I wrote a happy Valentine's Day to Jesus. And I mailed it. <laughs> Can you imagine the people working at the post office? Oh, boy. Three months later, I'm walking toward, it's probably about where the exit sign is, my house. Walking up the street, and I hear the Lord say, your reply has arrived. And I was confused. I'm like, what? And then I got it. I was like, and I ran to the, to the mailbox. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't get personal mail. And I ran there, and I opened the mailbox, and there was a handwritten letter with my name on it, Ben Fitzgerald, with all these little flowers and stuff on the thing, addressed to me. And I grabbed on like, and my heart by this point, I'm like, I'm like, I literally got a letter from heaven. God has mailed a letter to me. I was just freaking out. I thought I got in my mind. I'm like, I can't wait to tell the church this testimony. I have a physical letter from heaven. I was really excited. You know, I was like, this is crazy. And, uh, and I turned it around. It was from my grandma. <laughs> and, I, and I was like, I was from grandma. And I was like, okay. But I still felt like God, I knew God had said to me, your reply has arrived. So I knew it's something to do with, with what I sent to him. I open it, dear Ben, I love you, but I'm not writing this letter on behalf of me. Oh, you should have seen how much I broke as Jesus answered all of the questions one by one that I put inside that first love letter to him. And he said, I love you back. I have an amazing plan for you. And he said, you will go through trials, but through the trials, I'll prune you. And he said, and I'll make you a strong brain, all this amazing stuff. Those things mark you. They make you realize that this outer realm, this realm beyond the, the earth that we're on is more important. It's more worth investing in. It's more worth being rich toward that than it is this. But the, the fascinating thing is when you're rich toward that, the power of that world begins to invade this one. And that's the goal of God. But the goal of God isn't heaven on earth beyond your affection for heaven. It's not heaven on earth replaces my overwhelming affection to know the Lamb of God. I behold the Lamb of God. John said it, he's baptizing and he said, behold the Lamb, my work's done. He ceased from his works because adoration was the only thing he could give in that moment. God wants you to come back to your first love flame. For some of you, you don't need to, but for some of you, it's just a refining of, oh, hang on. I just chose this college degree because me and my parents talked and that was really the only option I had. God is not optionless. He has many options for you. But when he says this is the, the right way, go with him. Follow him and follow options and follow. Sorry, Pastor Jim, I've gone a slightly a few minutes over, but, but I, I, wanna, I just want to say this. The church, and I say this so humbly, I don't know why I feel to say this to you, share this with you. I say this so humbly, like I mean it not against anybody. I, I am the church. I'm very careful how I talk to God's people because I will give an account of how I talk to God's people. What I mean is I don't want to be up here and someone else down there. We're called to edify and strengthen one another, not judge each other. 
We've got enough. We don't need division. We need to fight the enemy. We have enough war. But I want to tell you something. In Christianity, let, let's just say these things right here, these little things here, are pillars of Christianity. What I find happens is that we fall into this system that is it's, it's beyond intimacy. And in, a fact, in a way, it's a form of faithfulness to religion. You know, you become a man of God. You end up on Sunday to Sunday on a pulpit. You end up in the biggest conferences. What do we do next? I know. I know exactly what we do next. What does a man of God do? I'm probably going to break that. I'm not going to do that. What does a man of God do? I know what a man of God does now that he's starting to get well-known around the church. I, I write a book. Wow. Heaven's like, wow, a book. We don't have any of them, do we? I'm not against books. See, that's why I was saying, I want to say this humbly. I love books. I'm writing one. <laughs> Just stay with me. Just trust me. And how do we be more creative? What can we do as a church? I, I got it. I felt the revelation. A worship CD. That'll change everything. You can easily slip into these categories. I'm going to go to seminary. Bible cemetery, as some people say. I'm going to go to Bible college. I'm going to write a Christian book. I'm going to make a worship CD. And we're cheering ourselves on and cheering each other on. Wow, a CD. I'm not saying those things are wrong. But when those things replace actually knowing Jesus, when it comes out of a place of I know him so much that it has to leak out of my hand into a pen, into a book, then it's the will of the Lord. I know him so much and this worship cannot be contained. This is not the definition of Christian success. It is not. It is a privilege and honor from God. But it's not the uh, definition of success. How do we validate that we're actually on the right track as a church? I know what we can do. We can do a bigger conference. I stand in front of tens of thousands of people. Trust me, it will not validate you. You'll go to the hotel room. You'll get on your knees next to your bed and you'll realize the depravity and the emptiness of all of that. It doesn't fill you. It might make you go, wow, thank you for choosing me, God. But it is nothing compared to knowing Jesus. It's really not. I stand in front of people like that, thousands. I do the biggest conferences in Europe and I'm thankful. I'm saying, God, I don't know why I'm even here. I don't know why you gave me this favor, Lord. But I tell you what it does. People say, oh, I, wanna, I wanna grow in the secret place. I wanna be hidden from people so I can grow. Let me tell you, when God spotlights you for five minutes, it will grow you quicker than five years in the secret place. Because all the junk inside you, all of those motivations will be exposed very quickly. And what the normal way of Christianity, let's write a book or now let's make a worship CD. Let's do a bigger conference. I know what we can do. We can train dancers. All those things are fantastic. But half the time we're doing it from a place of just because it's what's been done before. It's the lanes that everybody else ran in for so many years. What is needed in the earth is someone who is saturated with God. It's Wigglesworths everywhere. It's Coolmans everywhere. It's people that walk into like Coolman did into CBS studios and three floors up, people started crying. I know few Christians like that now. I know few Christians that are so possessed by God. And what does that tell us? It tells us that we're settling for something. We're settling for the faithful old way of building this certain way. That's why I love Pastor Jim and, and the emphasis on kingdom businesses. It's fantastic because we need that. We need people to influence government. 
But we need those people who go in there not to be exalting their influence, but to be blazing full of God. When we preach the sermon about God's gonna raise up Daniels, you might wanna make sure you incorporate into that message that Daniel wanted to open the curtains so that they would see him worship. Daniel wasn't there for influence. Daniel didn't live by influence. Daniel wasn't preaching to Meshach, Shadrach and Abednego, as some people say, my shack, your shack and a bungalow. He wasn't preaching to his three friends. He wasn't saying to them, you know what we should do? Let's influence Nebuchadnezzar. You know what he was saying to them? Don't bow. He was telling them, be so bold for God. Watch what the Lord does. And then Jesus himself walked into a fire and appeared physically in front of Nebuchadnezzar's face. And he said, there's a fourth man in there and he looks like the fire. Who is that in there? There's a fourth person, get them out, get them out. Nebuchadnezzar's terrified because of the power and the majesty of Jesus around these men. So when we talk about Daniel, it's not let's send someone into the government. They can have influence and they'll compromise their life. Let's send someone into the media place. People come to me like, oh, now I'm getting into the music industry. Now they're dropping the F-bomb every minute. And they're like, it's not so bad because I'm trying to be relevant to the people. No, you've just sacrificed your intimacy with God for influence. The most influential person in history exalted intimacy, not influence. Daniel said, open the curtains and let me worship. Why am I being so strong about that? It's because we're living by this principle of let's build the same old way. And sadly, sometimes we're not building people who are deep with Jesus. We're not building people who someone might touch your clothes and anointing flows from you. We're not building people who can sit there and expound in revelation. Some Ethiopian king or prince who's longing to know about God and you can expound to him the reason why God is the way and not Muhammad. We don't have that yet. I believe God in this hour wants to inhabit the church and the people of God in such a way that it will shock the world. You know that guy, Chris Angel, he does the fake little miracle things. God will actually raise up real people like that. God will raise up people that when there's a, 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 a big storm coming, like the one that came into Florida, you remember this one a few months ago, a month ago? He'll raise up people that have a, their friend has their iPhone and they say, I command you to be gone. And the storm will begin to turn away. And it'll be all over CNN, all over Fox. It will be all over everywhere. And they'll be like, how did you do that? Because God is with us. We need God with us. You know why? Because we're not winning the political debates. Are we? Oh, but we're going to reform sexuality. Good luck. Without millions turning to God, it will not be reformed. People aren't gonna go, yeah, I'll just give up my will for yours. They're not gonna do that. They're like, it's my choice, I'm who I am. You never tell me who I am. We're not gonna reform culture by just hoping we reform it and working on influence. Are you kidding me? That's the demon's realm. We don't even work in that realm. We reform culture by being a burning fire that they cannot extinguish. By being so filled with God that they're shocked. Elijah had signs, wonders, miracles. The culture of the day could not withstand the power of God with him. And they bent, they bowed, and eventually the Jezebel that controlled everybody was destroyed. I'm praying for a man who's gonna be running for the presidency, hopefully in the future, very soon. He's already in the EU. He's gonna be running for the presidency. I met him in the uh, European Parliament, and he did Bethel with me, 751 people sitting on the seats of the EU Parliament when we were there together. He was looking over the banister with me with his head hanging down. He said, Ben, I need help. 
I said, what do you need? And he said, I've been told to, to change culture. And he said, this whole thing, 751 seats of the EU, he said, you don't understand. He goes, they've been completely discipled by the sexual revolution that's happening now. They've, all of them have been discipled by it. He goes, we have, 10, we have 10 times less the lobbyist funding from the government, the Christian parties, than they do. They have 10 times more. If we have 100 grand, they have a million. And he said, I don't know what to do with the theology of let's take the kingdom into the world. And I realized, I said, my friend, it's not just about this world. It's about these people that you can redeem, the people we can save. And it's about you getting God on you that your wisdom cannot be ignored. But if he just tries to read a few books and tries to be smart and intelligent, his wisdom will be crushed. I'm saying this so that all of us realize that what we build, we must build something eternal because when the internal inhabits the now, when the presence of the Lord just starts to get around you now, you can be a Lonnie Frisbee, long-haired, weird-looking dude and go down to Corona Del Mar Beach down in California and have zero experience, have kind of a bad past, to be honest, have no relational experience, hasn't read the right books, hasn't done the disc test. He doesn't know who he is in his Enneagram, but he goes down there and he says, come, come to the Lord. And thousands turn to Jesus. You've seen the, the photos of the Jesus movement. They said 200 million people were converted through that movement. 200 million around the world. And by the way, they started over, I think Bill heard him say maybe 5,000 schools? 5,000 children's schools? That's a lot, isn't it? It's a lot of kids to teach the ways of God to. This morning, Jesus, we're asking you, please, please, would you fight for us in heavenly places and intercede for us to have all of our secret things with you and our, and our affection and longing towards you protected. We're asking you, Lord, that you would fight against whatever is distracting us, that you would fight against the humanistic mindsets that may be influencing us, that you would fight against even the, the mindset of, I'll just be faithful and I'll be a good guy. You would fight against that, Lord, and you would bring faith to us. God, I pray that every person in this room would understand the person, power, and presence of the Almighty God in their life, that He's around you, that when people walk near you, they would feel some kind of a realm around your presence, and it would be the presence of the King, because you'd be a resting place, a place He feels fully comfortable to be with. And Jesus, we praise you that you will give great influence you said that you'll give a scepter that drives out the nations and has authority over nations. You will give great influence. But the ones who are faithful with the little will be given it. How can we have the influence, Lord, when we are so influenced by everything except your face? God, we ask you, would you give us an earnest, loving, grace-filled, not our own strength, but a grace-filled hunger for the person and the reality of who the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are. We pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation, not just to have a good three-point message, but for it to be wisdom revealing itself to us and revelation called Jesus himself revealing himself to us. And I pray that today, the fire of the Holy Spirit would challenge you in the, the most beautiful way to come and adore your king and let him adore you back. And I want to pray this for people. For those who don't feel the love of God, I want to pray this for you. When you hold your little baby or your nephew or your cousin 
when you hold that little baby in your arms, you feel overwhelming love for that child. But that child doesn't say, I love you back. The child doesn't hug you back. But for some reason, you feel connection. God doesn't always have to say I love you and have to hug you back and have to let you feel it for you to know it's real. It's as real as when you hold a child and you can feel this moment of affection between two people. I pray that you would know that Jesus is not inviting you in because he's, he's to be feared or he's inviting you because he's in love with you. And no greater love has anyone showed you than what he showed you. He gave his life for you. I finish with this. If there's anyone in this room and you used to be a Christian, you believed in Jesus, and you turned away. Are you happy? You have peace? He's messing around with women and messing around with men and doing all the stuff you're doing, fulfilling your heart? Or are you empty? I want everyone to close their eyes for a moment. If you're in this room, I would have traveled to Columbus, Ohio, if God had told me, one person in Powell will meet me this morning. If you're in this room and you've backslidden away, I feel like it's not a new person, but you backslid away from your faith. And you've been compromising your relationship with Jesus. You've been living for pleasure instead of for God's purpose. You know, man, your heart is empty in that place. You know that there is more for you. No one can see you right now. If that is you, I pray that the Holy Spirit who has appointed you to be saved would convict you in this room in Jesus' name. If that is you, place your hand up. Don't be afraid. I see you guys. I see both of you. You've put your hand up. I see you up the back too, bro. Awesome. I see you. Is there anybody else? There were three people who put their hand up immediately. Praise the Lord. Is there anybody else? I feel that there was one more woman and you've done the same thing. You've been feeding off relationships instead of the ultimate relationship. And it's time to return to Jesus. Put your hand up high if that is you. I see you up the back, sweetheart. I see you. Yeah, it's a girl there. Bless you. Jesus loves you. Everyone keep their eyes closed. Those four people, run down here as fast as you can. Come on. He hung on a cross for you, man. Don't be embarrassed. He hung on a cross for you. Come as fast as you can. Because I want to pray for you personally. Hey, bro. Jesus loves you, man. He loves you, buddy. He loves you, man. Jesus loves you, bro. He loves you, man. He loves you, buddy. God loves you. He loves you too, my bro. God bless you. Yeah. Bless you, sweetheart. Jesus loves you. Church, stretch out your hand to these guys. Hey, he loves you. Let's pray. Let's pray. You know how to do this. You know how to do this because you know, you know the Lord. But it's just time to give everything to him. Hey. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask for Jesus to save these people. We pray, Lord God, that right now you would change their hearts. And God, if you came up to them, it means you are choosing a new life. You are choosing a new life. And God, if they agree with you right now, forgive all your sins. God, even if they're so ashamed, he's going to forgive all your sins because he's in love with you. It doesn't matter what you did. It matters what he did on that cross for you. And he purposed himself in Christ to save you. If you believe that, just tell your sins and say, Jesus, I ask you to forgive me. I open wide my heart. And I invite you to come and be the Lord of my life. Today I give my life to you. 
Oh man, let's uh, let's thank Ben. That was amazing. Thank you so much.